We're glad you're here and we appreciate it. We're going to do a little bit something a little bit different this morning as far as the sermon. I hope it's not too different for you. But uh, I saw an article or a little little article a friend of mine wrote, Kenny Chumley wrote, about Bethlehem as a city. And I read through a little, just a few little blurbs, and we're going to use a lot of that this morning that he wrote about it. He wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, a very good commentary on the book of Matthew, a nice thick commentary, some years ago. And it's got a lot of information about things like this. And I was interested partly because uh, we were in, at Bethlehem about two years ago uh, in, in Israel, and one of the stops we made was in this, in Bethlehem and some of the things there. And so it, it is of interest to me. Of course, Bethlehem today, I'm sure, looks nothing at all in any way like it did back then. In fact, that's where I got my ring that I wear all the time, this ring here. I bought it in a shop in Bethlehem. It, in this ring, as if many of you probably already seen it, is a coin. That's a coin from the first century, from Jesus' time. The one... In, in Greek, it was a lepton. It's a Roman coin. It's the widow's mite or the mite that the widow would show. That's how small it is, that little green. I'll show it to you. And it's got two images on either side. You can see both in this ring. So they had found this, this particular coin was in a pot at the temple site, the, the temple mount, buried in a pot. So it was in very good shape. And so... Even though I couldn't afford it, I just had to have it, so I bought it. And uh, I probably told you this, the funniest thing, we were in this gift shop. It was, a, it was a nice gift shop, and they had coins, they had all kind of stuff in there. And I'm looking, and I didn't know what I, I wanted to get. Judy says, get a souvenir here, because she knows I don't buy very many souvenirs. So I'll, okay. So I thought, I think I might want a coin. Somebody mentioned that, but I don't know what I'm going to do with a coin. Put a coin in my pocket, I'll lose it. You know, I don't wear necklaces. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm just too old-fashioned for a necklace, you know. And, and so anyway, I went and uh, I realized the, the, he was sh- the, the owner of the shop was showing Karen and her cousin some coins on the counter. He had, he had his coins on the counter there. And I walked up, glass counter, and I'm looking, and they're looking at this stuff over here. And I said, uh, do you have any of those coins in a ring? Do you have a ring? He looked at me, his eyes got big. He shoved Karen out of the way. <laughs> Brings up his box and puts up there on the thing, you know. And he says, Yes, I got perfect, I got a lot of I got several rings. And he said, This is the best one. He pulls out this one I got on. This is the best one. Oh, yeah. Because he said, well, of course, yeah. But he says, if you look at it, you'll see it's clear. It, it because it was found in a jar at the temple, not just in some sand somewhere, so it's not eroded. It's very good condition for being two thousand years old. So I thought about it for a few minutes. Judy said, go buy it. So I bought it. Well, uh, let's put it this way. I bought part of it that day. I took it home with me. Part the, Anyway. So that, that's my memory. But I didn't notice. I was thinking about that ring and not about all the stuff I was seeing in Bethlehem. But let's take a look at the scriptures. Because I was shocked. When I, let it, when I read my friend's article on Bethlehem, I got to looking at some stuff there. And I, I didn't realize this, but Beth, Bethlehem is mentioned something like 50 times in the Bible. We only think of that one account there in the Gospels, but it's like 50 times it's mentioned in both Old and New Testaments. It's, a, it's quite a bit for a small little village. As we'll see in a moment, 
Most scholars think that this little village was no more than 300 people at the time of Jesus. That's a pretty small place. And was certainly no big buildings there or anything like that. It was just pretty much just a little town with a few ramshackle huts and whatnot. It really wasn't much of anything there outside the city of Jerusalem. But here's, let's go back to the prophets. Let's go back to the Bible. I know you want to talk about the Bible. Let's go there and read this. Here's what Micah the prophet said about 700 years before Christ was born. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, you're a little village, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So out of you will come forth from me this ruler who's been here forever. Well, who's that going to be? This, the Jews knew that this was the Messiah. And we can show you that real quickly. The, a lot of prophecies they didn't understand, and we wouldn't know about it either if God hadn't told us that this is the fulfillment. But this is one the Jews understood for sure, was a prophecy about the Messiah because of what it says about him here. Now, the interesting part about this prophecy that most people don't realize at all is that there are two Bethlehems in in Judea, in Palestine. The first one is up here in the north. If you notice there, that first one, all the way in the north, is in Galilee. And if you notice the city right next to that, it's Nazareth. Well, where's Jesus from? Well, Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he grew up. And so there's a Bethlehem right there. And yet Micah doesn't say Bethlehem of Zebulun. That's sort of how it was known. This is in the in the tribe of Zebulun's territory. He says Bethlehem Ephrathah, which was Bethlehem of Judea, all the way down here in the south. This is where the Bethlehem that I got the ring at, this is the Bethlehem where Jesus was born is, all the way down here by Jerusalem in the south. A small little village. You would think... If you're making up a story, you'd have the Messiah come from Jerusalem, the big city. Everybody knows the city of David is called, for more or less. You know, David's, David's Mount Zion is there. But no, he puts it 700 years before in Bethlehem Ephrathah, a small little village outside of Jerusalem here, some four or five miles. But that's the confusion. And so there's two Bethlehems that you got to remember. Now, this caused a problem. I think God did this on purpose. I'm pretty clear to me that it's on purpose. Because it would make it so that people who wouldn't look at this situation carefully would not know that Jesus was the Messiah. It would trick some people. It would fool those people who only look superficially at this problem of where Jesus was born. And I'll show you an example of this. Well, let me first of all just tell you about what this means. Bethlehem, it's two words in Hebrew, they would pronounce it. It means a city of bread. Beth is city or town in Hebrew. Bethlehem, Judah, is so called to distinguish it from Bethlehem and Zebulun. It's a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Ephrathah means fruitful. Both names referring to the fertility of the region. So this is the city, this small little village in the south, not the one in the north. And it's fooled people ever since the time of Jesus. Because Jesus was raised in the north... Jesus of Nazareth, all the way up there. And yet the Messiah was going to come from the south. He was going to be born in Bethlehem of, the, of, of Judea. And so people immediately said, this man can't be the Messiah. And it, it's very much like, the, it's a prejudice. 
It's much like the town of Nazareth itself where Jesus grew up. Nazareth was a ghetto town. It, it was a nothing town in the time of Jesus. And really, it's somewhat like that today. You can really see it's a run-down place, even today, when you drive around through Nazareth. Beth, and, and it was that, like that then. It was considered to be a nowhere place where just riffraff lived, and Jesus was from there. In fact, what did they say when, when he says, we think we found the Messiah? Well, who is it? Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In John 1? That's what the people then thought. No, no Messiah can come from Nazareth. And certainly no Messiah can come from Nazareth because he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the thing. You have to look a little deeper than the surface to understand the truth of this matter. Just like today. To understand the truth about a lot of things, you've got to look a little bit past an Instagram meme to get the truth. Memes don't quite cut it sometimes for to really express serious thoughts about things. They're just emotional reactions and short, short-sighted things. And that's true even if I agree with the meme. You can't. It's just short. It's often short-sighted and not a little bit of thought goes into it. Now, this doesn't make sense to people then. It didn't make sense to people then. And it doesn't make sense to people today. Here's a, I read this, and looking this up, I read this in the Times of Israel. It's a newspaper in Israel. Big newspaper in Israel. Had an article in 2014 by this fellow, Avraham Oshri. He's a scholar. He's an archaeologist and a scholar. That never made sense to him, it says. He, he says this, How would a woman who is nine months pregnant travel 175 kilometers, 109 miles I put in there, how would she travel 109 miles on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem of Judea, he asked. It makes much more sense that she would have traveled seven kilometers, about four miles, the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem of, the, of Galilee. So he tries to present this to the Israeli antiquities authorities that Jesus' real birthplace is in the Bethlehem up, nor- up north, not the one in the south. Because it makes a lot more sense. And he gave some other reasons for this. Well, the Israeli Antiquities Authority rejected this, not because they're such great believers in Jesus Christ, but because of all the tourist money going into the one in the south. Okay? It's about the money. Always about the Benjamins or whatever they have in Israel. Okay? But even today, real smart people looking at it as they would say logically, can't figure out why Jesus would be born in the Bethlehem in the south and not the one up in the north. Especially when he was raised in the one in the north, near the one in the north. And it fooled people back then in Jesus' day, and it's still fooling people today. Because they simply won't believe what God said, what he prophesied, and what he said about it, and what was true back then. They just, they're just too smart for that. And you've got to be careful about that. And that's why, for example, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, this commentators, they said, God chooses the little things of the world to eclipse in glory its greatest things. The low state of David's line when the Messiah was born is also implied here. David's line as the former king had gotten to a very low state at the time of Christ. There weren't any prospects of anyone coming to the throne. And so he ends up being born in a small little village outside of Jerusalem. Not in Jerusalem, in a palace, like the son of a king ought to be born. Nope, that's not where Jesus was born. God fooled everybody on this one. He completely baffled the wise. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, speaking to the Gentiles there, 
First Corinthians 1, verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not know God. You can't know God just by the wisdom of this world, by pursuing some kind of intellectual thing. Although intellect is good, it won't get you where you need to go to get to God. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It's a foolish message that a Jewish carpenter's son was killed by the Romans for being an insurrectionist and that somehow he's going to save the world for all time. It's a foolish message. And the Gentiles simply would not believe it and the Jews wouldn't believe it either when it was sent to them. And so Paul says a little bit later in the same chapter, to these Corinthian Gentiles who were being pressed on because they weren't sophisticated like other people around them. And their neighbors were mocking them for being a Christian, believing in this foolishness, just like some of your neighbors are. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Look around you in the church here at Corinth. Look around you. Can you not see... The not many wise people according how many PhDs we have in this room? How many we ever had here? In most churches I've ever been in, the only PhDs are in people's garages, post hole diggers. That's the only ones they got. We have a few. And know what a PhD stands for? I thought that's what it stood for, post hole digger. Anyway, maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but in any event, you don't see that. The really, really smart people in society that work, that went to Harvard and worked for the New York Times or out in L.A., these people don't believe in Christ or the Bible or God. How many, how many mighty people, how many powerful people in Port St. Lucie are in church this morning? I don't care what kind of church you call it. Not many. Much less all across the world. And then he says, how many noble the noble are what we would call sophisticated people, the really withered people, the sophisticated glitterati, all, all those Instagram models and all those stars, all those people. Where are they this morning? You think they're in church bowing the knee to Jesus Christ? They're not. Look at your calling. You, 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 what do you expect? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, that's the things that are lowest and the, to considered to be the poorest and the worst. The things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. He's always picked the least. He didn't pick the Jews as his people because they were mighty and powerful. He picked them, he said, because you're the least and the most stubborn. That's why I picked you. He didn't pick the, the more powerful ones in Gideon's time. He picked the ones that were the weakest. He chose David to kill Goliath, not another mighty warrior. On and on the whole Bible story is like this. So why do we expect today? Why are we discouraged when the big, important, powerful people don't believe the same things that we do? Why are we discouraged about that? It's never been that way. It never will be that way. God chose it the other way. And he chose this little town of Bethlehem to bring the Messiah through because it was shameful, because it was a nothing place. And then he let the Messiah grow up in Nazareth, another place across the country that was considered to be the worst of the worst. He did it on purpose to fool all the smart people that could, all those 
Pharisees rustling about in all their long robes and phylacteries fooled all those people. And in, in so doing, it condemned them. Now, as I mentioned, we went to Bethlehem. I want to show you a few pictures from Bethlehem to see what you see what it's like. Now, this sermon is not, that's about as ranting as I'm going to get today, I think. So, you just got the, the ranting part of it. We'll just do some other stuff here. But this is, this is inside the church of the nativity, they call it, in Bethlehem. So, here's Jesus born in what probably was a cave. And now they built this huge church over the top of it. That's my brother. That's my brother there in the lower front. Curtis Pope who led the tour. A friend of mine. That's him. And I think that's my sister-in-law. I don't know some of the other people. But it's interesting. This is a beautiful thing to see. These pillars are all the smoothest kind of marble you've ever seen. You know they've been there for centuries and centuries. And all this other stuff around there. Now, they had some kind of a Greek Orthodox service going on during the middle of this whole thing. Some of these stones here are very old. They told how old they were and so forth. And, and you, but you have to wait. If you see along the right-hand side all those people lined up, you've got to wait in this huge line from outside the building all the way in, all the way down into the underneath this building is where the spot is, they say. This spot goes back to about three or 400 A.D. of them saying this is the spot where Jesus was born. Of course, so it's not... All, we don't know. This is just the spot that people have said historically is where this baby Jesus was born. This is what that church looks like on the outside, um, walking up. And I took this picture because that that thing up on the top there, it's not a cell tower. I think it's lighted up. It's a uh, the Jerusalem cross. And so here is a cross, and then there are crosses all around it in all directions. And the idea of this cross was the gospel to the whole world, I think. If I understood the explanation, this is an old style of cross that's been used for centuries uh, in certain places, the Jerusalem cross, because it pictures the gospel being taken to all the corners of the earth. And that's on top of this church building. Here's another view of the line of people going in we had to wait through. And the, the, there's some interesting signs. Here's another view inside this church building of some of the elaborate stuff. And I'd have to look real closely at this to remember exactly what this is. But I think this is where you begin to go down into the place where this happens. Uh, where this birth supposed. Here's another look of some of the chandeliers and other elaborate censers, all kind of stuff. All Greek Orthodox. This church is shared by several of these major Christian denominations. Catholic, uh, Greek Orthodox, and I forgot some of the others. Different orders of priests. So then you go down through this basically like a little hole, narrow, narrow stone staircase. And it's so the steps are so worn, I almost fell down these stairs because it's dark. And I had just had my first back surgery, and the first step is way down, and it's hollowed out. And then the next step is different height. So it, and there's no rail to hold on to. So, you know, lucky it's so crowded you couldn't fall very well. Just rocks very narrow and it's dark, you know. And you stumble down. The, I stumbled down. I don't think everybody stumbled. I stumbled down the stairs into this little grotto, cave-like thing. And there on the floor was this little place on the floor, like with a star and all this stuff. That's supposedly the very spot where Jesus Christ was born. That's supposedly the very spot the manger where the manger was. So if you ever go to Israel, this is what they tell you is the spot. I don't know. doesn't look like it. It didn't move me. Uh, 
Other things I saw there moved me. I will say that. This did not move me. It just doesn't look right. And there's no way to know. I can tell, And here's why I have a hard time believing this. Because when Jesus was born, no one cared about that spot. Even if you all, you all may love me to death, but you don't have any idea where I was born. It doesn't interest you. It happened 70 years ago, and, and no, you all, none of you know. Well, a couple of you know, maybe. I'll be glad to tell you and fill you in all the great details. But, I mean, nobody knows. And the same thing with Jesus. By the time he became the Christ, famous on the cross, and especially later when he sent it back to heaven, the memory of where that spot was is long gone from every, everybody almost. Maybe Mary knew, but it wasn't important to those people. Those people that were there didn't venerate that spot, so no one really knows. Most likely, as my friend says, I don't know if I got in here or not, he, and studying this whole thing very detailed way, he said this area is known for caves in the side of some of the hills around Bethlehem there. has small caves where they would where they would uh, go for shelter and they would keep animals in there and so forth and build a house near there and have a cave or to keep the animals. And that's where it was. They have a manger there. Uh, a, manger, a, a manger is a, pl- a trough that you feed an animal in. Some of these are cut out of stone. You pour the feet in the, in the stone bowl or stone depression and so forth. So no one knows. But this is what they say. And so uh, you can... And, and here, here's the kind of thing that impressed me. As you walk down the steps, and, and there's the KFC sign. You walk back up, and you're gonna, you got to go through the gift shop. You know, you always, all these places you have to go through the gift shop to get out, and you find the KFC. So there's the colonel. The colonel knows where Jesus was born. I did not know that part. But he did know, apparently. He put himself a KFC right there. And, and, um, and then you get outside on the street, and there's a Stars and Bucks Cafe. Not a Starbucks, a Stars and Bucks Cafe. Because they can't use Starbucks because they don't have a license. But they know the American tourists like Starbucks, so they put a Stars and Bucks Cafe. And then there's got some signs in Arabic there. But this is, this is almost across the street from this, from this uh, Church of the Nativity. I love those kind of things. And this is why you have to look carefully when you're there to say, is this really the place? Because you've got KFCs and Starbucks there. It just doesn't fit sometimes you have this picture in your mind from growing up what and you your picture in your mind is probably closer to reality than what you're seeing here with huge cathedrals built over these things and stones and all kind of other stuff and altars but yet you still get a feeling that had to be somewhere right there Bethlehem is a small place relatively today even and he was born somewhere there you ain't very far at any event, wherever you are from there. Let's read the scriptures. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. This is his Bethlehem that was prophesied by Micah. He specifies which Bethlehem right here. Matthew tells you it's not the one in the north, it's the one in the south. That's exactly what he's saying here. It's not just something thrown in. He's letting you know. In the days of Herod the king. Herod now, here's another fact that will blow your mind at Christmas time. Uh, because I don't believe we know when Christ was born. I don't believe, and I'm almost sure it's not December 25th. And that's why we don't celebrate that as a church holiday, because the Bible says nothing about how to do that or when it happened. 
It does tell you Herod was king. Herod died in what we think is about 4 B.C. So scratch your head on that one. He died not long after this in about 4 B.C. So Jesus was born about four years before Christ. Five years. So, but see, there's an error in our time. We know that from the 1500s. There's an error by a few years in our time system. The A.D. and the B.C. is not exact. So don't be led astray in these churches that tell you it was 0 B.C. And, and we know it was on December 25th and all that stuff. None of that's in the Bible. Just go with what's in the Bible. Not all the other stuff. And we'll all be better off. But anyway, these wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. These wise men are magi. We get the word magician from that. Probably Persian astronomers, astrologers. And they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Jesus has already been born. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We could talk a long time on what that means. Nobody knows what this star was. I don't think it was a comet. I don't think it was an eclipse. I don't think it was any of that. This star was a sign that these astrologers recognized that was completely different than what they'd ever seen, and it was leading them somewhere. How many stars lead you somewhere? They don't lead you anywhere. They're just stuck there. They may move across the sky, but they do the same thing every night, and, and this star's moving in the opposite direction. from what they would think. And it, then it, it begins to lead them, and then it comes and rests right over the house. How many stars come and rest right over a house? You know, this is not something that you can explain naturally. The whole point of this is that this is miraculous and was a sign from God that these, even these Persians understood. Now, why would it not make sense God sent the angels to announce the birth of Jesus Christ to the Jews. He announced it to the shepherds there. He had already announced it was coming to the prophets. Then he announced it to the shepherds directly. Why would he not include the Gentiles in this announcement? These are the Gentiles being notified that the king has been born. This is the way God did it for them. They didn't have the prophets, but they had this. So, And when, the Gent- when these Gentiles come, they get told what God had told the prophets, don't, don't they? And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Well, why is that? Well, let me tell you, Herod was a very, very wicked man. He had three of his sons put to death, his mother-in-law, his son-in-law, and threw a bunch of other relatives just because he thought they might be rivals to the throne. He routinely executed people for no reason, and he just didn't like them. And so when Herod got upset about something, and he was troubled, Jerusalem went, uh-oh, who's he going to kill now? They all knew that he, that he might kill any one of them. For this. And so they yes, they were troubled, because he was not a good man. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said, Guess what they do? They quote Micah five two. In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You look like you're the least. You look like you're nothing. But you're not really the least because from you, a little tiny village will come the Messiah. The scribes and Pharisees knew this. They were looking for this. And they told these wise men. And so then Herod, uh, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star appeared. When did you see this star? Because they said, well, his star has told us he's been born. So they, how long? Well, some people think it might have taken them a year or two to walk from where they were over to here. They see the star, 
Christ has been born, and by the time they get there, much time has gone by. Which tells you a little clue. All this Christmas stuff you see about wise men at the manger is completely wrong. Because it took a long time for them to walk after he'd been born to where they were. Now, I can prove that right here. Keep reading with me. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Of course, he was lying. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, there's no manger here, there's no stable. When they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. It's not called a baby here. There's another word for that. He's called a young child. And they fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So now this is the Bible story. Sometime later, after he was born, we see Mary and Joseph still in Jerusalem area, in Bethlehem. They're in a house now, and these wise men come, and he's a young child by then. Some people think it's two years. Now, the other evidence that he was not an infant is that when Herod found out that these wise men had fooled him, he wanted them to come back to Jerusalem, but they, they got warned by the angel, don't go back to Jerusalem. So they went another way home. When he realized that they had tricked him and gone on home, he was very angry, and he sent out word and said, kill all the children under two years old in Bethlehem. Why would he pick two years if Jesus was a baby in a manger, you see? He obviously wasn't a baby in a manger at this time. And he knew that he had been born before that time. And so he put the upper limit about two years and killed all the rest. Now, it's been said, you heard it growing up, high, well, 10,000 children were killed. No, no. There weren't 10,000 people anywhere near Bethlehem at that time, much less children much less boys under two years old at that time. That's a, that takes a pretty good population to have 10,000 boys under two years old in a village. My friend Kenny, who wrote this book on Matthew, he, he said there in his book, for example, I'll give you an example. Most scholars think that Bethlehem had about 300 people. He said, I grew up in a town of 300 people in Illinois. And boy, it's a small little town, let alone. There ain't nothing there either. And... Uh, he said, when I started first grade, and I'm in the baby boomer generation, there were 25 of us boys in first grade. So, there you go. Now, by the time we lived there in the 90s, they had eight people in the eighth grade class. I was so stunned. Went to Illinois, supposed to be this real smart state. Here they have eighth grade graduations, like it's a big deal to get to eighth grade. Maybe. <coughs> Apparently it was in Illinois. But anyway, so they have eighth grade graduates. Apparently that's a big thing. Um, I got plenty of relatives that only made it to eighth grade, some that didn't make it to eighth grade. But anyway, <clears throat> there were seven kids, I think, or eight kids, maybe a little few more in that next class. I think it was eight, and that right, Judy, in the eighth grade class that year. So, you know, you don't have 10,000 babies. Thir- 30, maybe, they said. May- maybe up to 30. That- that's bad enough, right? In a small village, killing 30 young boys in a whole area around, that's bad enough. It's a whole generation nearly wiped out. And uh, so, but that's the point. Now, let's look at some other things about Bethlehem before we have to quit this morning. I got a bunch more stuff. I'll never make it. Bethlehem's first mention is in Genesis, and its last reference is in the gospel. It has to do with the birth of a son. 
both the first time it's mentioned and the last time it's mentioned, birth of a son. The first one is when uh, Jacob and Rachel, his wife, were journeying from Bethel, and there was a little distance to go to Ephra, Ephrath. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor, meaning very difficult labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, Oni, but his father named him Ben-Yamin. Ben-Oni means son of my sorrow, because she knows she's dying. But his father said, Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And the ironic thing about that is, later on in the Old Testament, you read about the tribe of Benjamin, when they get in the land of Canaan, the tribe of Benjamin has 700 left-handed archers. And yet it's, the name of the tribe is son of my right hand, and they got all these left-handed archers. So uh, anyway, just odd things that you read. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave. And you, you can go to Rachel's grave there, supposedly. So that's a son being born, an ancestor of Jesus Christ in the family. And then later on, Christ is born. Uh, death and sacrifice are associated with Bethlehem. Two or three places, we'll not read all these, you see that they're associated. And of course, then life comes from Bethlehem through Jesus Christ, all these figures. And, and it's curious how many references to Bethlehem involve womanly devotion and self-sacrifice. When you read all these 50 references, and we'll not take the obvious to do that, a, a lot of them have to do with with women, like, like Mary and, Ra- and Rachel, other women like that. And, and this little town of all the villages in Judah is associated with, called the, the crowning city of motherhood. because of, of course, mostly because of Jesus being born there. But the pattern for that was set all the way back at the beginning of this. The next major mention in the Bible after Rachel of, of Bethlehem is in the book of Ruth, another connection to Christ. At the beginning of the book of Ruth, we read about Ruth's readiness to die for someone she loved. We read of her devotion to her mother-in-law. Ruth was a Gentile attached to by a daughter-in-law of a Jewish woman, Naomi, whose husband died, the Jewish man died, and left him, them uh, with her. And she wouldn't go away. She wouldn't leave her mother-in-law, even though she was Jewish and she wasn't a Jew, because she loved her mother-in-law. She was devoted to her. And, and willing, she said, where you die, I'll die. She, she was willing. You, you read this at weddings, this passage at weddings. Where you go, I'll go, and your people will be my people. That's, that's this passage. In the end, then, Ruth ends up marrying a man named Boaz, who has a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, who has a son named Jesus. That's the connection. This woman in Bethlehem in here, directly connected. And she's a Gentile to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. And you see this in the Bible. And, and you see one of his other ancestors was Rahab the harlot from Jericho. You see, in this very same account, you read about this. This is all connected to Bethlehem here in this situation. The, David was anointed to be king at Bethlehem. This little village. That's where his 
family was. That's why this is often called the city of David as well as Jerusalem, the city of David, because this is where his family was. This is where Jesse was. This is where Obed was. This is where Ruth was. This is where David was born. This is where he was when he was known to be king. And later, his descendant would be born there. The odd thing about that, too, we didn't even cover is that why was it that he was born in the south but raised in the north? Well, they were only down there. For some reason, Joseph and Mary had ended up in Nazareth, in the north. And then there was a, a census that was to be made by the Roman emperor, Augustus. And so they traveled all the way down. That's that traveling that fellow was talking about, 175 kilometers, 100 and some miles, all the way down they traveled to the city of Bethlehem because that they were told all to return to your native home. Everybody go back to where you were born, where your family is, and we'll count you there. And so they went back there. But when that was all over, Jesus was Joseph fled with, to Egypt with Jesus because the angel told him to go to Egypt, go away from Herod because he's going to try to kill you. And then after that was over, they went back home. They went back to Nazareth where Jesus was raised in the city of Nazareth. So the ancient Hebrew commentary on 1 Samuel says Jesus, uh, Jesse, David's father, wove the veils of the tabernacle. If true, maybe that's why Goliath's staff is compared to a weaver's beam. It's interesting that David's mother involved in all this is never named in Scripture. She's always, he's always just called the son of Jesse. I didn't think about that before. You know, you don't know Noah's wife's name. You don't know David's mother's name, how important he was, and so forth. And then there's a well at Bethlehem. I don't know if I have time to tell this story. Don't really have time. You need to look up. I've told it before. David uh, can't do it. Too late. It's a it's it's an Indiana Jones story in Second Kings twenty three. They break through the enemy walls. They break into the enemy camp, steal a glass of water or a jug of water for David, take it back to David, and he won't drink it because they risked their life for it. It's a crazy story, but it's from Bethlehem again. David says, "Oh, I wish I could taste that water from Beth-. here." I'm telling the story. Uh, Bethlehem has a number of ancient one-room houses built over caves that are used as stables for livestock. In most of them, there's a stone trough or a manger cut in the rock. An inn at Bethlehem would not have had a stable. If it was, we think of an inn, we think of you know a little uh, little building like a motel with rooms, and they didn't have that kind of stuff back. If they did, it was very rare, and that certainly isn't the word. The word inn just means a, a place of lodging, any place you could stay. Literally means any place you can stay. It does not mean what we think of as a country motel or an inn. And that gets people confused too. And I don't think there was a mean innkeeper who wouldn't let him in because he was so mean and nasty. Probably a Republican or something. But no, just not at all the way we picture this. And they've made up these stories around this, how this happened this way. It was an uh, inn's had rooms that enclosed an open space and so forth. So probably Christ was born in a cave. Uh, like this is still found just a sh- uh, overhanging in the you can see them everywhere just a, a cut out in the rock or natural place in the rock where they could get some shelter and so forth and so there's the killing of the children we're not going to read that but let's read let's close with this reading real quickly from from the story in, Ma- in Luke 2 so Joseph also when the census was ordered by the emperor Joseph went up from Galilee up meaning Uphill, because he's in the the north, so he's going uphill to Jerusalem. 
he went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths, I should say, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in some same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. By the way, that's the only reference, that, fra- that reference is the only reference that says that this happened at night. And it doesn't really say that exactly, but it's close. This is the only one. How many Christmas songs, it came upon a midnight clear, silent night, holy night. Uh, all the Christmas songs have this big thing about Jesus being born at night. And there's one little Bible phrase, by night here. It's just interesting to me. I don't know why. <clears throat> and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day, and I think the key phrase there, to you, maybe it's this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, with claws, lying in a manger. So there's the beginning of the account of the birth of Christ. Thanks for listening today. Sorry it's taken so long. I didn't think it would. Should have known better. But we uh, certainly do appreciate your attention. And like I say, it isn't a typical kind of exhortation sermon, but I, I wanted you to think about some of the things surrounding just one little town and how God worked what he did and why he did it the way he did it and present to you some information about that. So we're going to close our service by singing number 380, Just As I Am. This is a time when you can respond to the gospel of Christ if you're not a Christian, be baptized into Christ today for the remission of your sins, or perhaps you'd like us to pray with you about a wrong or a problem or something that's troubling you today. Let that be known by coming down to the front. We'll pray with you. God can forgive. And your brothers and sisters can encourage you in your walk in Christ. If we can help you right now, come right down here. Let's stand and sing.